In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Buffalo Wild Wings has specials on food from 3 to 6, Monday through Friday, and great deals on drinks all day. It's the perfect way to offset a long day. Text that hilarious joke about your boss to your boss. What? No, no. Try a $3 Wild Herd by Goose Island. Set your morning alarm for 6 p.m. That calls for $5 strawberry margaritas. So if you ask your phone why you're still single and... Ha, ha, ha. Seriously? Head to Buffalo Wild Wings. At participating locations, taxes and fees apply. Dine and only drink responsibly offers vary by location void where prohibited Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. Now, for those of you who have listened to the earlier episode this week, you will know what this episode is. For those of you who are on Facebook, I'm pretty sure you know what this episode is, especially if you're American. This is something you should definitely know. However, do you know the real story, or do you know the story that you are taught at school? The reason I say that is having spoken to a few Americans, I believe the story that you are told does not necessarily create the same example as a story that we know in this country. Now, I know some of you guys are going to listen to this story and go, well, no, that's exactly what I'm taught at school or what I've been taught or what I know. Well, fair enough. Good for you. I'm glad that you were taught correctly. I do also know that some Americans have been taught or believe the story to be slightly different. So that's what we're going to get into. First things first, before I start any episode, a little bit of housekeeping. I do want to say hello to Shelley, who is my newest Patreon member. Thank you so much for joining. I hope you're enjoying the new shows. I hope you're enjoying the gangsters that we're covering. And I hope you're looking forward to the newest style of episodes which will be covering serial killers from outside of the US. So if that sounds interesting to you and you are not on Patreon, what are you doing? We've been on Patreon for about six months now. Get yourselves over there, get onto Patreon, join up. It's five dollars a month and you will get access to extra shows. Not only that, you will be supporting me and that is really, really important because that's what keeps me going. So Without further ado, we will get on with the show. Now, the War of 1812. This is a war between the American colonies, or the American United States at that time, and the British Empire. This is the second war you've had with the British in 36 years. On this time, you have decided, or America has decided, I keep saying you as if it's your it's your guy's fault. You who are listening, it's all you. No, it isn't your guy's fault because you weren't alive. But, and you're not responsible for your ancestors. Just thought I'd get that little one in there. 
Anyway, I'm digressing. America declares war on Upper Canada in uh, 1812, the 18th of June, 1812. And war is declared on the basis that the British are press-ganging American soldiers into the uh, British Navy. Now, there are other couple of things that are going on. The British Navy is blockading Americans from trading with countries such as France and Spain, um, mainly because at the time, we were at war. We were uh, in the middle of the Napoleonic Wars, and we are at war with our greatest arch-enemy of all time, the French. Now, America, I think, took quite a good advantage of this, and made the assumption that with majority of Canadians in America, in Upper Canada actually being American-born, that they could pretty much just walk into Canada. In fact, Thomas Jefferson actually said winning the war will be as easy as marching. So, you know, the, the plan was essentially declare war on England. England aren't really paying attention anyway because they're busy fighting Napoleon. We walk into a territory where the majority of the people are American anyway, and they're just going to lay down their arms and go, yeah, here we go, have this country as well. And that was the plan. You know, in in essence, kind of made a lot of sense for the Americans. However, this wasn't a war that all Americans wanted. In fact, the vote at Congress was the closest that they've ever had in American history for going to war with another nation. So, it wasn't a a certain it wasn't a certainty that they were going to go to war and it wasn't something that was backed by all politicians in America however the americans invaded canada or at least went to war with canada in the first instance now the problem with america at this time is they were very very bad <laughs> compared to the british they were a small army a non-existent navy, well, we had this debate, they had 17 ships. That's a non-existent navy in comparison to the 1,000 English ships of the Royal Navy. Um, they were ill-equipped and they were in, you know, they, they weren't ready for this war. And they had quite a few humiliating defeats quite early on in the war. You know, the first few months of the war America really wasn't doing very well um, they actually lost Fort Detroit on August the 16th 1812 they also not only lost the fort they lost the army that was stationed at the fort in Detroit and they also lost the majority of Michigan which was handed over to the British at that time um, because you know they, they just weren't they weren't equipped to fight the British now General Hall was the man who surrendered Fort Detroit and it suggested that the reason he did it bearing in mind this entire situation not a single shot was fired so he didn't actually test his army against the British um, so we don't know how well he would have would have fared um, but it said that once he saw the size of the British army backed by the Native Americans. So you've got to remember, um, the British were backing the Native Americans for years to stop American expansion west. You know, um, the Native Americans 
uh, were buying weapons off the British. Uh, they were getting uh, pretty much everything off the British because the British, let's be honest, couldn't deal with the fact that they'd lost the colonies of America. And I, I think it was sort of a bit of a bitter thing for the English and they turned around and decided to, to do the next best thing and help the Native Americans. So when General Hall saw the size of this army, he actually just surrendered there and then. Now, he said he surrendered because his daughter and his granddaughter were in the fort and the Native Americans and the British had quite a brutal way of dealing with people regardless of who you were they pretty much would have killed anybody now i'm not 100 percent sure on whether that is factually correct um i have not known that throughout british history that our soldiers um especially around this time were savage to the point that they would go and murder women and children um but if you fear that your child and your grandchild is potentially in danger, I think I probably would have done the same thing. However, he was absolutely scolded for it because he gave up the fort. He gave up, well, quite a lot of Michigan. And with this defeat, it actually encouraged a lot of Native American raids in the north of America because they now didn't have that fear. You know, the Americans weren't undefeatable. You know, the year before, the Americans absolutely annihilated um, the the Native Americans. I can't remember the name of the battle, and I'm sure someone will will tell me. It begins with T. I could look it up, but then that ruins the flow. So, um, this battle in, in 1811, and, you know, the Native Americans sort of had that feeling that the Americans were sort of invincible. Obviously, now they realise they weren't. There were other defeats for the Americans at the start of the war. Uh, General Henry Dearborn, put your teeth in, Daniel. General Henry Dearborn, try saying that when you're drunk, uh, failed to take uh, Quebec in northern Canada, um, basically because no one was willing to fight with him. He was looking for militia groups and things like that to help with the fight, and they weren't really that interested in the fights. And again, you know, they were pushed back and pushed out of Canada. In October uh, 1812, uh, General Stephen von Rensselaer, which doesn't sound like a very American name, but he was American, uh, led an army of 3,100 men into the Battle of Queenston Heights. Now, these guys did quite a good job. They pushed the British back, they held them, and they did what they should have done, except... They lost the battle. Um, they did take the British general, uh, Sir Isaac Brock. He died at that battle. Now, Isaac Brock was the basically the king's representative in Canada. He was the man in charge. And he was in charge of the town of York, which is where America focused next. Now, York is modern-day Toronto, for those of you who don't know. And York was not very heavily guarded considering it was the capital of where well I suppose it was the capital of Canada um, it was definitely the capital of the British base there anyway and they had uh, the buildings there, the, the government buildings there were, were equivalent to the American White House 
at the time. Now, I have had a bit of a dig at the uh, American Navy at this point. However, in the War of 1812, there was a very decisive battle on September the 10th, uh, 1813, which was the Battle of Lake Erie, in which the Americans proved with nine ships that they could defeat the Royal Navy at sea. Now, the British only had six ships on the lake, and the Americans had nine. So, it wasn't necessarily... Well, I wouldn't say it was unfair. I think it was was pretty fair. The tonnage was roughly the same on the ships. Um, The British had bigger ships, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the, the, uh, the Americans came out victorious. Now, when the Americans won this battle... Um, it gave them control of Lake Erie. Uh, with control, for those of you who don't know, Lake Erie is one of the Great Lakes in America, and it's the furthest south lake of the Great Lakes. It is the one that goes or borders with Michigan. So as soon as they took control of that lake, it gave them access back to Detroit, in which they then retook Detroit from the British at a later part of the war. Had they not have won that battle at sea they would not have been able to take Detroit back. And Detroit potentially could still be part of the British Empire. So for those of you who are listening in Detroit, you are more British than you think. (laughs) Because for uh, most of America, which was independent uh, from the British Empire in 1812, for a short period of time, you were back under British rule. So... If any uh, anybody who possibly was has a, an ancestor who was born in Detroit uh, in 1812, potentially you uh, you are potentially I suppose you could be British or more British than you would you would possibly know. So there we go. There's a little fact for you. Um, just a little side note. Like I said, I knew uh, one of my last episodes. Um, I did mention something about um, the Americans not having sail ships. The War of 1812 completely slipped my mind when I was talking about this. The Americans did have sailing ships. Like I said, they had 17 sailing ships in the War of 1812, and not one of them would have been part of the Royal Navy main fleet. So... Yes, you do have certain boats. I'm well aware of the USS Constitution, which has been pointed out by probably about 15 of you. Uh, I got probably about 15 messages saying, what about the USS Constitution? That's a sailing ship. I thought, it is, but it's also a very small one in comparison to some of the the ships that that we had. my dad put a thing on on Facebook, uh, just comparing the sizes of certain ships. And the Mary Rose uh, was roughly two times the size of the USS Constitution, and also two hundred and fifty years older than the USS Constitution. So the point I was trying to make was not that America didn't have sailing ships, but you don't have the history of sailing ships because your navy really kicked in later in the 1800s when steam power came in um that was the point i was trying to make it didn't come across like that it came across as a bit of a dig i suppose it was a little bit of a dig but it wasn't meant in that sort of a way um it was meant more of a you know in comparison to the royal navy 
your navy didn't exist. However, you did prove in the War of 1812 that the Royal Navy was not undefeatable. You know, they could be beaten. And they could be beaten by, let's be honest, a very, very amateur navy because... 1812 you're talking about a navy that's only really existed for roughly 50 years at best um that to me is is a massive massive thing and it's very very underestimated when you're talking about the royal navy that's been around for maybe 400 years at this point the best navy in the world some of the best sailors in the world the best ships in the world and it's very very underrated that the americans actually scored a big big victory here and in defeating the Royal Navy, it was, you know, it was, it was a very, very un, underrated and not necessarily something people know a huge amount about. So anyway, we'll get back to more of the story. The US now have scored a victory. The first year has been a really, really bad disaster for the US. They've not really made any ground. They've lost ground, essentially, from a non-invading country you know Canada didn't invade America America invaded Canada but yet ground was lost in America not in Canada and the Americans needed to score a big victory and they turned their attention to York now York was obviously like I said it was the main stronghold for the British army but it was not it's hard to explain it was not a stronghold it was a command centre. It's probably the better way of describing it. In essence, it was where the British stationed roughly 400 soldiers. It wasn't somewhere they thought was going to be attacked very easily. And that's why it wasn't necessarily fully defended in that, in that essence. However, if the Americans managed to break York and take it, it would be a, an extremely devastating blow to the to the British, and it would also be a massive morale boost to the Americans. And also, it would show that they can make inlays into Canada, and should they then expand further into the town and into the, the country from there, Canada should fall pretty quickly. So they turn their attention to this garrison at York, under its new commander, General Schaefe, because General Brock had died a few months earlier. The Americans arrived in York on the 27th of April, 1813. They attacked with 14 ships and roughly 1,800 soldiers. The British send the Grenadier Guards over to the west-hand side of the fort to intercept the Americans as they land on the shore. And the Americans are planning to come up the, the woods or the forest to the west and go into the, the town from there. The British are being supported by Native American warriors and at this time the Americans have a no mercy policy on any white man fighting alongside a native uh, they faced execution regardless of anything. There was no um, there was no mercy. If Even if you were captured, it was tough. You were fighting alongside uh, Native Americans and therefore you would be killed. Now, the British Army wore bright red. For those of you who have seen the old British uniform, um, very distinctive, um, bright red, white 
uh, belts across it, very easy to spot in the woods. The Americans at this time wore blue, again, very easy to spot. However, the first men that they came across who got off these ships were led by Major Forsyth, and he had riflemen. Now, the riflemen in America were essential in American history, uh, very, very big in the Civil War, very, very big in the War of Independence, very, very big in the War of 1812. And they were known as the green coats because they wore green. Now, you're talking about a forest. These guys were slightly harder to see, slightly harder to spot, and the British were outnumbered four to one. Major Forsyth's men were a bit maverick, to be honest, and they were very, very good at killing people. That's what they were very good at. Now, the conventional way of fighting in this this time period was rows of men lined up musket to musket and firing in a straight line. And this is how the British had won many, many wars. Um, you know, standard straight firing. However, these guys used more guerrilla tactics and they were using cover. And they used, like I said, they were riflemen. So they weren't using your standard round ball muskets. They were a lot more accurate and a lot more dangerous. And they had the ability, or the, the ability? No, the advantage of being camouflaged. And this, you know, it, basically, there was no way they were going to lose. They were outnumbering the British. The British couldn't see them. And the British stood out like sore thumbs because they were wearing bright red. The British lost. Let's be honest, they, they legged it. They ran. And they ran back to the fort. The local militia... Uh, were nowhere to be seen, they had no backup, um, and they weren't going to win. So they fled. And this gave the Americans the opportunity to basically bring in everyone. They brought in the artillery, they brought in the whole lot onto Fort York under General Zebulon Pike. Now the interesting thing is they set up in a big field just to the, the west of the fort, ready to attack the fort. Now the British have left, they've gone, they're not staying around, they know they're not going to win this, they fled to the north, um, into the woodlands above, and same with the townsfolk, you know, that some probably stayed, a lot of them just, just legged it, they weren't, they weren't hanging around. When the British left, they made a decision to explode the magazine casing at Fort York. Now the reason for this was the magazine casing held all of the British gunpowder there was no way they were going to carry it they needed to go and they didn't want it to fall into the enemy hands so what they did they exploded the magazine and this sent shrapnel bullets um, barrels metal metal parts of barrels all flying in one particular direction and unfortunately for Zebulon Pike they were in the direction of him and his army now this was seen by the Americans as a, a, a deliberate attempt on American life, and it was quite successful. There was uh, over 250 men um, injured or killed uh, from this explosion. However, it has been tested and tested and tested that it was just unfortunate that it the entrance to the magazine casing 
happened to face in that direction. Now, the Americans, in retaliation to this, basically burnt Fort York to the ground. They burnt the government buildings, and you know it doesn't exist anymore. You know, they, they literally they just they burnt it. They got rid of it because they saw this as a huge act of aggression and also quite a cowardice act of aggression because you know they weren't actually fighting they just set off like a big booby trap for the americans it turns out that actually for through history that that actually that wasn't the case they just exploded it and it just happened to be facing in that direction if the uh the the entrance to the the casing had been a different way the shrapnel would have gone a different way it just just a bit unlucky but obviously they don't know that at the time and it also gave the americans another pretty much another propaganda tool for this because it made the british look quite bad i think it made them look quite cowardice uh, or at least that's how the propaganda span it the americans didn't just burn york they looted it they took everything out of it now this happened quite a lot during war um it's something that was quite common um stealing from people was quite common to the victory the victors sorry um however the sacking of york by the americans was potentially the worst that has happened in well definitely the worst that happened in this war um it was pretty bad to be fair um and you know the the americans uh sailed off from york after burning it to the ground um, and they sailed to Niagara and took control of Fort George at Niagara, forcing the British um, out of there to a different area. They actually managed to force the British to uh, Stony Creek. Now, Stony Creek, the battle basically was... This battle was going to decide the war. Um, the Americans had proved that they could take certain parts of of canada and they took the part you know by taking york um they proved that the british weren't really that strong and, and the fact that york was the government base for upper canada and by burning that to the ground it sort of took that british authority away and showed that the british weren't invincible so it it gave them a huge boost really um, to to go on and push and push this battle and you know win the war. So the Battle of Stony Creek. Now this might be something you guys know about. Um, it's a battle where the Americans have a stronghold under General Chandler on the ridge. On the ridge, they position their cannons. They have roughly three thousand men, and the British are outnumbered. I would say about four to one. Now. The British aren't going to win this fight. It's getting late and the British aren't going to win. They know if they wait till the morning, they're going to lose. They're going to lose Upper Canada and they're going to lose the war. So they make a decision to approach the Americans in the dead of night silently and fix bayonets. Now, the point of this, if one American soldier spots them fires a shot they're all dead because they're outnumbered there's no way they can win this fight they are 
outgunned, outnumbered, and they need to do this in complete silence to not alert any Americans to the fact that they're coming. Now, someone in the British ranks, we don't know who, approached this uh, ridge where the Americans were and gave out a Native American battle cry to which the rest of the British soldiers repeated. Now, this battle noise would be similar to possibly, if you're American, the rebel yell. Um, Very, very loud, very intimidating. And potentially, you know, giving the Americans that, that false... I say false hope. False hope's not the right word, but that that falseness of knowing, not knowing what's out there. So they hear this very, very loud war cry, and are convinced that all the Native Americans um, from Canada are descending upon them straight away, and they, it puts the fear of God into them. They really think now they're outnumbered because they they know the British are there. They didn't think the uh, Native Americans were there, so when they hear this, it just it gives them that fear of shit. We're we're outnumbered by people. We can't. We don't know that they're there. We didn't know they were there. We don't know where they are because it's dark. What do we do? In the panic, the Americans start firing. They don't know what they're firing at. They can't see what they're firing at. They have no idea. And the British take full advantage of this because the Americans have now given away their position. And they charge in, like I said, bayonets fixed, and they stab and they kill the American soldiers. They take real advantage of the fact that the Americans are shit scared because they think the natives are coming for them and are not ready for close combat. So the British are very, very, very well trained in bayonets. Um, I even believe now even now the British are very very well trained with bayonets it's something that they have been part of our army ever since uh, the introduction of of armed weapons you know bayonets are are an essential part of the the soldier in Britain I I, I can't comment in regards to Americans on this because I have absolutely no idea whether you guys use bayonets or not I would assume you probably do um, but in this instance, they weren't ready, and that's what caused the problem. Um, you know, the British go in, hit the belly, always go for the belly, don't go for the ribs, hit the ribs, and when you pull your, your bayonet out, the bayonet gets stuck. You've killed your man, but you're now defenseless and can't do anything. Get the man on the ground, and then they would probably use the butt of the rifle or, or whatever. It, it was not a pleasant fight, Um but the British came out victorious. In that one night alone, the British killed or captured over 300 Americans, uh, including General Chandler himself. So they, you know, there was no way. They, this was the only throw of the dice the British had, and it actually paid off. America didn't get any closer than Stony Creek to taking Canada. And the problem with the Americans not taking Canada in 1813 is the following year, the British destroyed the French and were no longer at war with Napoleon and therefore were in a position to focus their energies on the War of 1812. 
which they did. And the British turned the tide of that war by sending the troops that they probably wanted to send there in the first place. Like I said, at the time, the Napoleonic Wars were far more important to the British than the War of 1812. And the British managed to hold off the American advance for two years uh, with minimal men, minimal weapons, no real backup, um, a very, very depleted navy, even though um, Britain had a huge navy, um, most of it was, was dealt with fighting the French. So Britain were not in a position really to, to be in this war uh, with America, which is why the Americans thought it would be so easy to walk into Canada and just take it. The British arrived, and when the British arrived, my God, did the British arrive. They attacked New York, they attacked uh, Philadelphia, they attacked Maine, and they came in at Chesapeake Shore and attacked Washington, D.C. This was a a war that the Americans assumed they were going to walk away with, and two years down the line, they were having their own capital city attacked. The British did not forget what the Americans did at York. And in August 1814, the British sent 4,000 soldiers into Washington, D.C. Now, these were battle-hardened soldiers. These were soldiers who had fought at the Napoleonic Wars. These were veterans. They knew what they were doing. And they they weren't giving out any mercy. The Battle of Badensburg, just outside of Washington, D.C., even the president was actually there fighting alongside his army to repel the British from taking the city. His wife, uh, I think her name was Dolly, I'm not sure if that's short for something, but she was definitely called Dolly. Um, She was basically preparing the White House for a grand victory that they thought they were going to win. How could anybody take the capital of, of America? It just wasn't going to happen. They didn't believe it. They didn't see it. And nobody had ever done it. So, you know, this this wasn't going to happen. And they were ready for it. And the, the closer the musket fires got, the, the louder the noise, the more people in Washington, in, on Capitol Hill, were getting scared and knew that something was coming. Um, now, the story goes that Dolly... Uh, grabbed a portrait of uh, George Washington and saved it. However, according to her, and I hate to use the word, but according to her slave, um, he said she was more interested in the silverware um, than the actual picture, whether that picture was actually saved or, or what, we, we don't know uh, whether she saved it. or. But the story goes, the story says that she saved the picture of George Washington. Uh, in reality, she was just saving silverware the americans capitulated uh president madison the man who declared war on the british the man who decided to fight them uh at this battle uh fled they 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 left washington there was no one standing in the way of the british they had a clean route to the white house the british army four thousand men march down Pennsylvania Avenue basically unopposed the British clean walk to the White House 
take down the American flag and burn the White House. To the point that when they repainted it, it had to be repainted in a different style of white um, to cover up the burn marks. You can still see the burn marks in the White House from this fire. There are still rooms with fire damage that still exist from this the fire of 1812. This is the first and only time in American history that the uh, the White House or the capital of America is occupied by another power, by a foreign power. And it just goes to show that you don't poke the lion, <laughs> you don't poke the British when you think you can. We don't give up, and they carried on. And this picture that I put up of the White House on fire, um, I believe even to the point that the term whitewashing comes from where they had to wash down the fire damage on the White House. I'm not 100% sure on that, but that is something I've heard. Um, but the the point is that the Americans started a war in an attempt to take Canada. And the British were defending Canada and yet ended up burning down the White House and Capitol Hill. Now... Both sides realise that nobody's going to win this war. There is a big stalemate and it's pretty much no side is going to, to actually win. And on the 18th of February 1815, they sign a peace treaty and the border stays exactly the same. The border of Canada and America is still exactly the same today as it was prior to the war. Now, the Americans didn't realise that the war had ended and carried on fighting um, under Andrew Jackson and managed to win possibly one of the biggest uh, defeats of the British in the, the War of 1812, which was the Battle of New Orleans. Now, this is half true. Uh, it, the battle um, officially started and, and ended before the end of the war. Um, however... There is a lot of um, a lot of historians say that the War of 1812 actually ended before the Battle of New Orleans. A lot of them say it ended after, but either way, the Battle of New Orleans was a massive, massive victory for the Americans. I think it was nearly 2,000 British soldiers were killed, captured, or wounded at that battle. It was a huge victory for the Americans. Um, and if you're, you're interested, there is a blinding song by Johnny Horton called the Battle of New Orleans um, which my kids know word for word but it is a very very good song um, so if you want to listen to that get get onto uh, iTunes and, and listen to that um, but essentially the war ended in exactly the same way that it started there was no territory gained no territory lost so to an extent the war was a draw However, from a British perspective, and I will give you the British perspective of this war now, Britain were defending their land, and they were invaded by a foreign invader. They repelled the foreign invader, kicked them out of their land with less men, with a smaller army, smaller everything, and they fought away from their homeland. 
Now, all right, America were technically fighting in Canada, but a lot of the battles took place in America, in their homeland. So America were fighting at home. Britain were fighting away. There was roughly a month delay from any news getting from America back to the UK and then back to the front line. So the British were very, very ill-equipped for this war. The Americans managed to come into Canada. Yes, that is true. They did not manage to hold Canada. They didn't manage to hold any part of Canada. And they ended up losing land at the start of the war. Yes, they won it back. But the British held on to parts of America during this war, which the Americans did not. Not only that, when you actually look at the war itself, Britain were defending a country. Not They weren't the aggressors of this war. Now, normally in a situation, if you are the aggressor, the only way you can win the war is by taking the territory that you went out to take. This was not the case. America didn't actually take any territory. The territory remained exactly the same. Britain weren't interested in taking territory back because they didn't bother. They attacked New York, they attacked Washington, they attacked the east coast of America. Um, They attacked it to the point that they burnt down the capital city of America. And they weren't interested in taking these places. They just wanted the status quo that they had. Um, So in all lessons, when you actually look at the war... America lost because they failed to take the land that they went out to take and their capital city was burnt to the ground uh, and they were fighting in their own back garden. So I think, I don't know, from what I've learned from speaking to fans of the show and and people who I know in the States, um, you guys are taught either that the Americans won the war because the British didn't take America, which, again, was never the plan of the war anyway, Um, or you're told that the war ended exactly the same way that it started. And to an extent, that is correct, because there were no border changes. But it does negate the fact that you didn't take the territories that you planned to take, and also negates the fact that your capital city was actually burnt. So... When you actually look at it from an outsider's perspective, the British were victorious in this war. Um, it's it's a different one. It's a different story. Um, it's something that I think is quite nice to give a British perspective of. Um, another reason why you guys have the ability to pretty much say what you want in regards to this war is... History is kind of written by the victors. I've always said this. It's always written by the victors. Um, And when you look at the War of 1812, the British were far more interested in the Napoleonic Wars. And even to an extent at at school in the UK, we're taught very little about the Napoleonic Wars, but we are taught about the Napoleonic Wars. We are never taught about the War of 1812. It's never. I had to do my own research on this war. This is not something we are taught in British schools. We don't know about this war. 
and the reason we don't know about this war is because it's not important to the British um, now obviously if you are a relative of somebody who fought out there or you are you know potentially still living out there or something like that then yes it's it, it possibly important to you but to the British populace it's not that important and the main reason for that is it's it wasn't Britain that fought you know this was Canada and to Canadians this is quite an important war and it's Canada that won the war it's it's you know these guys once they settled there this was the first time that they really classed themselves as Canadians not Americans or British because they established themselves on a world stage as people not to be messed with and they had the backing of the British Empire should they need it and this work like I said this is why we're not taught about this in British schools and I, I would love to know uh, I know I have some Canadian listeners I'd love to know if you guys are taught a similar story to what I've just told or if you are taught the American version that I've heard where the war was either a draw or classed as an American victory um, I like I said at the start I know some of you guys are going to say no I've never been taught this an American victory and I know some of you guys that are possibly going to come back with well I've been taught exactly what you just said and well that's good you know that because that is realistically the the story um i'm only going by examples that i've heard from listeners and from people i know in the states now i'm well aware of the fact that the majority of people who listen to my podcast are not in school now and therefore don't necessarily uh and this is going to sound really offensive and i don't mean it to sound offensive but don't necessarily remember what they were taught at school um, and therefore what they possibly have told me may be slightly distorted and that's why I've got that opinion of this so I could be wrong um, either way I think it's a blinding story and I do really really enjoy this um, and I hope you guys have enjoyed the war of 1812 and I hope you've enjoyed a bit of a British perspective on this war and yeah something a little bit different for you so i hope you've enjoyed i hope you are not too offended by by uh by having a british person talk about an american war um and i hope you've uh you've enjoyed it so um we're going to go back to just quickly before i i say goodbye to you just going to go back to the point i made at the start for those of you who are on our facebook group if you're not on there just get yourselves on there it's really really easy this week in history on facebook very very simple and i did make a point last week um in regards to sorry not last week in the last episode um in regards to um people possibly coming on the show um and giving their story you know you guys this is a, a show for all of you so if you do feel like you've got a little story or something that you find really really interesting in history uh like last week operation squabble it's a 15 minute video video <laughs> keep saying video it's not a video 15 minute um podcast um very very simple nice little story very easy to do if you have a little story like that that you want your you want my listeners to know you want people to know um something that really interests you 
um, but you don't think I'm going to cover it, you can either message me and say, look, Dan, do, do you fancy covering this for me? Or get yourself on the show, cover it yourself. You know, I'm always happy to have guests on the show. Um, you know, just drop me a line, drop me an email, twihpod at gmail.com. Get us on Facebook, or if you're really, really up for it, get yourselves onto our Patreon. It's $5 a month, and you keep supporting the show by doing that as well. So, uh, yeah, I hope you guys are happy and uh, everyone's staying safe, and we shall see you next week. So thanks for listening, guys. Remember, we all have history. Make yours great. Bye-bye. Not running your business on NetSuite is like trying to sink a putt with a cap pulled over your eyes. NetSuite by Oracle is the number one cloud financial system, giving you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, budgeting, and more all in one place. 93% of surveyed businesses increase their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 31,000 businesses already use NetSuite. This summer, NetSuite has a special financing program for those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com go. netsuite.com go. Something you probably do know. Progressive can not only offer you a great price when you bundle home and auto, they offer you round-the-clock protection. Something you probably don't know, the average oak tree branch can hold 70 pounds. Something you probably do know, your neighbor is building their kid a treehouse. Something you probably don't know, a falling treehouse would take out your whole fence. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive and get more than a great price. Get round-the-clock protection. Something you know for the things you don't know. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations.